Thanks for joining us on the podcast today. If you have questions about our church or following Jesus, feel free to reach out to us at info at theplantchurch.org. Now, here's today's message. If you have a Bible or a Bible app on your phone, whatever you prefer, if you could open up with me to Matthew chapter 1. We're going to read verses 18 to 24 in a little while, but uh, we are officially this Sunday entering the Advent season. Advent is a season in the church calendar. Did you know the church has its own calendar? Uh, And and actually, the new church year starts today, so happy new year, in a sense. Uh, and, And it starts with this season called Advent that is an anticipation of God coming to earth. In Jesus Christ. And so that's what it is. So it's technically all of you who are like Christmas started November 1st and it goes all the way through December 31st and these two days around Thanksgiving or Thanksgiving but everything else is Christmas. You're wrong. We're in Advent. Christmas doesn't start till the 25th. I'm just saying. But then Christmas is 12 days. Like that song's for real. I'm just saying. You could have 12 days of Christmas for real every year. No one's interested. They want to start now. That's okay. So this Advent season, Advent comes from the Latin. It literally means waiting. How many of you love to wait for things? What? That's so weird. You don't like to wait for things? Yeah, I don't like to wait for things either, but this is a season to help us. This is deep waiting, I call it. This is not waiting in line for your latte at Starbucks. This is longing, a waiting that makes you groan, like when are things going to change? When are things going to be different? This is a a kind of waiting that goes beyond just our uh, selves and the, the daily kind of impatiences and urgencies we go through. This is a waiting and a longing for things to be different in the world. And that's what Advent is. I just remember as a kid, if you grew up in church, I just remember as a kid in church, the Advent candles were like the best thing every year because you light one each week as you move closer and closer to Christmas. And I was just thinking, I'm just going to get presents. That's what it means when all those candles are lit. But as I have grown up, it has helped me establish this rhythm of waiting and it's so powerful. So we are here in this Advent season and we're going to explore uh, some carols of the Christmas season as a way for us to think through and explore what it means to wait in this Advent season. Uh, So uh, we're going to jump right into scripture in order to frame our first carol this morning. And I want to read to you Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 23, and it says this. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred 
to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Let's pray. Lord, as we begin this Advent season, this season of waiting today, we ask, Lord, that you would give us your spirit of endurance to wait well. We ask, Lord, that you would give us the the spirit of your honesty to be in touch with how deep our longings and dissatisfaction actually is with the way things are in the world. And we pray, Lord, that we would experience the joy that comes when you meet us in the waiting. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Um, There is a beloved children's story or series of stories written by a a gentleman named named Ludwig Bemelman, Bemelman, and it's the story of Madeline. Anyone familiar with the stories of Madeline? Uh, Some of you might be. It's these little uh, stories of a a Parisian girl's boarding school, which is totally relatable. Um, But anyway, it's run by this nun named Miss Clavel. And it's centering on the rambunctious life of uh, this little girl named Madeline. And Madeline loved to get into trouble, let me tell you. If anyone knows the stories of Madeline. Uh, She got into trouble. My daughters are really into these stories. Um, But each story usually contains this moment uh, in the middle of the night where Miss Clavel shoots up out of her bed and she says, something is not right. Something is not right right. And, and she has a sense that things are not as they should be. And she rushes up to the girl's dormitory and usually finds either someone is sick or the girl's got in a pillow fight or they're fighting over a dog that they snuck into the dormitory. All sorts of different things happen. But her cry of something is not right would wake her out of her sleep and into a different posture. And as we start this Advent season looking at songs for a season of waiting, we start with a song that will help us have a different posture for when we see, like Miss Clavel, that something is not right with the world. Now, some of us really don't like thinking about what's not right in the world. There's enough not right in our own lives sometimes that it can be frustrating or discouraging or overwhelming. And I understand that sentiment, and I feel that a lot personally. It, it is easy for us to get caught up in feeling overwhelmed, but come with me on this journey for a minute as we just explore a few things that we might think of that come to mind when we say things are not right in the world, both here in our, our own nation, around the world, and then, and then personally for a moment. It can be really easy to just see the big highlights that are on the news day in and day out, 
but that's just the things that the news people think will get the most clicks and the most views, honestly. Not that they're not important stories, but there are so many things going on that should lead us to say something's not right in the world. There was a Brookings Institute study released in October that said that poverty is on the rise, not only in U.S. cities, but also now in U.S. suburbs like never before. We've actually seen this right here in in West Milford. We had a group of pastors and the mayor here we hosted for lunch this past Thursday, and a few of the churches in town run food pantries. We've partnered with the Presbyterian Church Food Pantries on a number of occasions, and they went from pre-COVID maybe serving about 20 to 30 families to they are now serving about 70 to 80 families a week. That's just one pantry. 70 to 80 families a week. More families are being served than ever before. That's in keeping with these national statistics. According to the National Alliance to End Homelessness, did you know homelessness has been on the rise by 6% every year since 2017? The climate of our political hostility to continues to escalate. There are number, uh, a number of people that are paying attention to this, especially in the academic world, that have noticed that much of the political ideology and political conversation of our day has almost become its own religion as people cling devoutly to their ideology, and it's not showing any signs of slowing down. In our age of advanced medicine, especially in Western civilization, did you know that we have more people in America suffering from chronic illness than ever before? Nearly a third of Americans suffer from chronic illness. Something's not right in our own country, is there? Globally, though, things are going on as well. According to World Vision, nearly 10% of the world's population lives on less than $2.15 a day. And to make matters worse, nearly 25% of the world's population live in conditions that are described as a fragile context, which means they will likely find themselves in extreme poverty. As a result of this extreme poverty, more and more people globally, especially outside of the Western world, uh, more and more people are at risk in these fragile contexts. And so they're turning to really desperate job situations like sweatshops. They're turning to uh, migrant work and conditions. I don't know if you're, I'm a big uh, soccer fan, so the World Cup last year was a huge controversy as many uh, migrant workers from Nepal in particular were in basically slave-like conditions. Many, many, many died building these stadiums for these matches. And it was uh, often covered up. People are desperate to find some kind of income to get out of these fragile contexts, and it's creating more and more complex problems around the world, outside of Western culture in particularly. Places where those that tend to be of darker skin complexion, non-European ancestry live, they're often taken advantage of in order to create cheap goods that come back to Western countries like the United States. This has led theologian Sean Copeland to say about the global crisis we're living in that the darker your skin is, the more likely you are to become infected with HIV AIDS. And if you're a woman, the darker your skin is, the more likely you are to bury your infant. Something's not right around the world. 
And then personally, you and I and everyone, I've heard, heard so many of your own stories. It's not just a U.S. problem or a global problem. You've experienced sickness or uh, chronic illness or family members with terminal illnesses, injustice, poverty. You've had so many needs go unmet. You've worked jobs that were just jobs to survive, but not things that you felt a calling to. You're scraping by financially. You've struggled with sickness yourself or depression or that of a loved one suffering from mental health issues. You've experienced estranged family relationships. And you've known losses that you just should not have to experience. Something is not right in the world. And we can often take that as, well, that's just life. But man, is it? Something's not right. Do you feel that? Something is not right. So what do we often do? Well, we humans are clever and we try and take control of the situation often and have our own solutions and offer quick fixes or a quick retort on social media Uh, or we stand for this, or we stand against that, or we try and take control of the situation, try and act like we can handle the losses we've experienced, and it's not that big a deal, and we just try and hunker down and trust God. But man, all these human solutions at best just create more problems, different problems. Or they create internal problems because we're denying the reality of what we're experiencing. And what we actually deeply long for, I believe, no matter who you are, whether you're a Christian or not, we all deeply long for a world that is set right because something is not right. And we are not able to resolve it. Merry Christmas, by the way. This leads us to this really, really ancient Christmas carol. O come, O come, Emmanuel. O come, O come, Emmanuel. It's about 1,200 years old, this song. It started as a monastic chant, originally in Latin. When I discovered that, that's how I, that made me feel better because you try and find one translation of this. There's like 800 different translations of this song in English because it didn't originate in English. It's this ancient song. This is actually one of the oldest songs that is still sung in the world. Isn't that amazing? The title of this song comes just from this text we read, Matthew 1.23, but it's quoting Isaiah 7.14. Isaiah's saying, The virgin will conceive a child. She'll give birth and they'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. This song is, O come, O come, God with us. It's a song of longing and mourning for when things are not right. It's a really helpful song for when things are not right in the world. recognizes through, through the way the music is set up that there's something unjust going on in our lives. There's something going on that is unjust in the world around us. It's not right. 
the minor tonality of the song helps us just connect with the mourning and the grieving that honestly often needs to be done when we begin to realize how off things are. There's a longing for God that comes through this hymn. There's an incredible amount of humility that's required to sing a song like this because we have to walk away from, I've got an answer. I know what the answer is to simply being like, Lord, come. I don't know what to do anymore. It reminds me of something that Henry Nouwen once said. He said, I am beginning to realize that much of prayer is grieving. How true that is as we realize how much things are not right in the world. And this song, I believe, truly helps us come to a place of humility. Come to a place and to, to put ourselves in a posture like Miss Clavel, where we can truly say, oh, something's not right. Something is deeply not right with the world. Not just there's this little problem here or that, but there's something at the core of everything that is off and it needs to be addressed and we need someone who can enter into this space to bring real solutions. And in this song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, it's seven verses paint a picture for us of what is missing. What is missing in the world around us? What's really at the root of the issue we're all facing? What is it we really all need? And so I want to walk you through these seven verses quickly this morning to help us unpack what it means for God to be with us. What it means to really begin to long this Advent season to say, oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. Now, we're going to start with what you might consider verse 2, if you've heard this song before. But uh, traditionally, we hear, O come, O come, Emmanuel, as the first verse. But that's actually traditionally been the seventh verse and the final verse that's sung. And you'll see why as we go through. But we're going to walk through just some observations of these seven verses that speak to our longing when things are not right. Ready to go through these with me? Let's walk through these together. First, this song calls on God to come and be our wisdom. O come, O come, a wisdom from on high who ordered all things mightily. To us the path of knowledge show, teach us in its ways to go. This is surfaced from a, a bunch of scripture throughout the Bible, but Proverbs 3, 19 to 20 in particular, describes God's wisdom and how he ordered creation well, how thoughtful he was with his knowledge and how he laid out the whole universe and all of the cosmos. And, it, and this song, this verse calls us to call for wisdom itself to come and be with us. And that helps kind of just imply we just don't have any wisdom and we need some. It helps us see we need God's divine knowledge because our knowledge and wisdom is just not enough for what this world needs. The second verse calls on the great Lord. It says, O come, O come, great Lord of might, 
Who to your tribes on Sinai's height in ancient times did give the law in cloud and majesty and awe? In the story of Exodus, especially chapter 19, and some of those chapters around there when Israel has been uh, taken out of Egypt, they've escaped Egypt, and now they're at Sinai, and God's presence has descended in this thunderous, amazing, awe-inspiring cloud on Sinai, and he's giving them the law. He's displaying his majesty. He's displaying how incredibly powerful he is to his people. It's revealed that the one who gave us the wisdom also gave us the law, gave us the way to rightly live in the world, revealed to us that it's not just anyone that we call great Lord. It is the one that we call now the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is this God that we are calling on to come. Third, the song calls for the branch of Jesse's stem. It says, O come, O branch of Jesse's stem, unto your own and rescue them. From depths of hell your people save and give them victory or the grave. This branch of Jesse's stem is a way to reference the the family line through Israel, through the people of Israel, through Jesse to his son David, who would be King David, who was the great, 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 something like that, grandfather of Joseph. Who we just read about, who was called the son of David by the angel Gabriel. And Jesus is, it's implied that Jesus is in this line. It's this family, this redemptive family that started all the way back with Abraham when God created a new nation from this person, Abraham, and his wife, Sarah, and, and, and would redeem all of the world through this family. And it's an acknowledgement that we need a new family. We were just having a baptism class this morning, and one of the things that we talked about was how when we come, uh, are baptized, we are baptized into a new family. Because, man, I don't know about you, but my family has a little bit of dysfunction. And while I still love my family, and I still see them, and I still uh, build relationships with them, it's, so good, it's such good news to know that we all, get to come into a new redeemed family that relates to each other differently. Fourth, the song calls for the key of David to come. O come, O key of David, come and open wide our heavenly home. Make safe for us the heavenward road and bar the way to death's abode. In the Old Testament, especially in Isaiah 22, um, there's this description of the key of David coming. The key, keys in, in the scriptures often refer to authority. Uh, keys were not as uh, plentiful as we have them today. Uh, if you had a key, it locked a door that was really important. If you had a key, you had authority and access to something that was significant. And it's this describing the key of David, this family line of David, this key represents a king who has authority directly from God. One would come 
who had the real authority to right the world of every wrong, to open the path to life and redemption. There's a lot of people in our world that claim authority, experts in this, authority in that. Well, I'm an expert because I have more money. I'm an expert because I have a bigger gun. I'm an expert because I have more knowledge. And we all stake our claim in some way to having authority in different ways. And this is an acknowledgement that there is only one who has true authority. And we need him to come and be the king with true authority who can truly do something when things are not right. Fifth, the song asks for the morning star to come. O come, O bright and morning star, and bring us comfort from afar. Dispel the shadows of night and turn our darkness into light. There's a prophetic word, a promise for who is going to come out of this family, Israel, in Numbers chapter 24. And it's a reference to, to a morning star, a star that was going to rise that would defeat the powers of spiritual darkness. And just like the, the verse of the song says, dispel the shadow of night and turn our darkness into light. One that recognizes that uh, along with all of the human problems we created, there is spiritual darkness that is animating and heightening and adding to the problems that we are experiencing in the world. And we have all succumbed and are imprisoned to this spiritual darkness unless we are set free into the kingdom of God. This is what 1 John says. You've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. And we need to be free of the powers of the spiritual darkness. And there's only one who can set us free. Six, the song calls for the, na- the king of nations to come. It says, O come, O king of nations, bind, and in the hearts of all mankind, bid all our sad divisions cease, and be yourself our king of peace. You see, this is not just a a king who becomes king of some people. This is the one who is the king of nations, the king of every people, every ethnicity, every tribe and tongue and culture and language. While many in the world try and seek conformity, he is the only one who can bring true unity. While many try and create diversity it is only in Jesus that the divisions actually cease he is himself the king of peace he is the one that the nations need in order to end the strife in order to end the conflict in order to end the infighting even in our own families and in our own jobs with our coworkers and in our schools all of the places where there is conflict there's only one who can bring true peace proverbs or excuse me psalms 22 to this it says the poor will eat and be satisfied 
All who seek the Lord will praise him. Their hearts will rejoice with everlasting joy. The whole earth will acknowledge the Lord and return to him. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. Royal power belongs to the Lord. He rules the nations. He is the only one. You see, Emmanuel is not just the king of some people, as I said. He's the king of all people. He rules the world. He brings unity. He is the one that has the solutions for true peace. And seventh and finally, the one that's probably most familiar after we have called for wisdom, after we've called out for the mighty God, the great Lord, after we've called for the one that brings us into a new family, calling for the one who has true authority, the one who can defeat the powers of darkness and truly unite all people in peace, this king of the nations. The final call is this, O come. O come, Emmanuel, God with us. Ransom captive Israel. We mourn in lonely exile here until the Son of God appears. There's so much packed into that our need for wisdom and knowledge, our, our need for one who is truly mighty and capable, our need for one who's redeemed us into a new family, our need for someone who really has authority to like really make some decisions around here, our need for one who can save us from the darkness, one who can truly bring peace instead of something we try and force ourselves. The call and the cry is, we're sitting here until you come. We're sitting here longing until you come because something is not right. He comes to ransom us, his people that are in captivity. Those especially who have been treated unjustly. Those who are languishing in their loss. Mourning, grieving. We're longing for God so that we can actually rejoice when he appears. For God to be with us is what we're crying out for. So things can finally be set right. I really love that this song does not end with taking a stand for something. I really love that this song doesn't end with God saying, these people are to blame over here, these people are good over here. I really love that God does not say, here are the three points to resolve all your conflict. The song ends by simply saying, no God, what we really need is for you to just be with us. I think about my, my daughters at times when they are having uh, a difficult time or they're anxious about something or upset about something. Uh, my wife and I 
futilely often try and fix the problem. Maybe I try and fix the problem more. I think she's better at it than me. Fix the problem. What do you need? What do you need? What can I do? What can I do? Do you want this? Do you want this? Like, let me see. What, what can I do? And honestly, quite often, what they need is for us to just be with them. Often when a child gets hurt, or they're injured, or they experience some kind of pain in life, and they cry, they don't need the parent to fix them. What psychologists have, have noticed and, and research has been done is, is that children, what they actually need is the parent to help regulate their emotions because they have not learned how to do that yet. And the way they do that and learn that is simply by being held close. I'm here. I'm here. And if you notice, child calms down little by little. And when I'm good at this and remember to do this, it's not very long before one of my daughters will say, I'm better now and I want to go play. And they just hop down and they're on like nothing happened. I think sometimes we are looking for God to do something instead of just saying, God, be with us. I think we say, your presence is not actually enough. I need you to give me the statement, the answer, the thing. But did you know the, the whole problem in the first place is that God's no longer with us? That's the whole problem at the base of all of creation gone wrong. Is that we're not with God and God's not with us anymore. This is Genesis chapter 3. We said, hey God, you know, I'm not going to follow your wisdom and knowledge. This fruit looks good. And this serpent says that it's going to give me a lot of knowledge and make me wise. So I'm good. Oops. But it's not about often needing an answer or solution. Just like my child, what they really need is for me to be present. And what we need, what this world needs, is God with us. Love what Rich Velotis says about this. He says, God with us, not God with those who agree with me. Not God with my political party. Not God with my denomination. Not God with those who I like. God with us. Us. This is the ultimate cry of the entire biblical story. It's the ultimate cry. God had a dream to dwell with humanity forever. It was broken in the Garden of Eden. And in the Gospels, this gets reestablished in Jesus. This is John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then it says this, the Word became flesh, human. The Word was embodied and lived among us. Eugene Peterson in the message says, the word became a human and moved into the neighborhood. How different would your neighborhood be if God moved in? That's the vision 
of all of Scripture is just God being with us. And this is where we're headed. Not only is Advent a remembrance that Jesus came once, it's looking ahead to second Advent, that Jesus is going to return. It's a longing, yes, Lord, we are here as witnesses that this work has started, but man, something's not right still. And we are longing for you to come once and for all to set things right. And you know, this is ultimately how the book of Revelation ends. The vision's brought to completion in chapter uh, 2022. Might be 21, I'm sorry. I just put the verse here. It says, I heard a loud shout. This is John writing about what he's seeing. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, I love this. God's home is now among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. Oh, come. Oh, come, Emmanuel. Ransom your captive people. Don't let us stay here in exile any longer. We're stuck here until you are here again. And Lord Jesus, we need you. How many of you are longing for Emmanuel? How many of you recognize that you're maybe still asleep? Maybe sometimes you find yourself falling asleep. You haven't shot up like Miss Clavel and jumped out of the bed saying something is not right. How many of you are starting to stir saying, I don't know why I can't sleep. It is a gift to be in touch with the reality that things are not right in the world. I know that sounds like a horrible idea. But it is a gift to be in touch with the reality that things are not as they should be. Because then when you taste those little glimpses of how the things should be, you begin to long for what God has done in Christ to be done to its full completion. God with us. I want to wait for a moment before we reflect on a question to prepare us for communion because I, I just feel like the Lord is speaking to us right now. Some of you have been dissatisfied with a lot of things for a long time and you haven't been able to put your finger on it and God has helped you articulate something this morning. 
Others of you, you've known something's off and something is not right in the world for a long time, but you didn't know that you had permission for your prayers to be a lot of grieving. Some of you need to hear the good news of the refrain of this song, that when God comes, we rejoice. Some of you don't want to wake up from your sleep. But I believe what the Holy Spirit is doing in us as a community this morning is to invite us into the reality that something is not right. And to begin to long for the good news that God has not left us abandoned here. He has come to be with us. He's come to be among us. He's come to be with you, to be with us. We're going to sing this song as we begin this Advent season, sing this song of longing for God to come be with us. Oh, come, oh, wisdom from on high Who ordered all things mightily To us the path of knowledge show And teach us in its ways to go Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to
declare the truth this morning. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Just read these words as truth of the reality that God has not just come as an idea, but in history. God has come to be among us and he will come again at the conclusion of history to make all things right. Read this as, hear this word proclaimed over you as you go. In the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The Word, that's Jesus, gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. So the Word became human and made His home among us. He made His home with us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Lord Jesus, we stand here this morning as witnesses that you have come to live among us once. You are here among your church through the presence of the Holy Spirit now. And at the conclusion of history, you will surely right everything that is wrong. As you live among us once and for all. In this Advent season, we declare and cling to this promise and longing with everything we have. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks so much for joining us today. If this podcast has been helpful for you to know Jesus and make him known, then check out our website for more sermons and other resources, theplantchurch.org.